This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In a hyper-competitive world, where innovation is considered a critical driver of growth, many business leaders invest significant resources into their efforts. In Jugad Innovation, think frugal, be flexible, generate breakthrough growth, authors Navi Raju, Jaidi Prabhu, and Simone Ahuja present an inexpensive, quick approach that is fueling growth in emerging markets. In their book, they outline the six principles of Jugad, a Hindi word meaning an improvised solution born from ingenuity. Seek opportunity in adversity. Do more with less. Think and act flexibly. Keep it simple. Include the margin and follow your heart. Authors Navi Raju and Simone Ahuja sat down with Knowledge at Wharton to talk about how Jugad can fuel growth in the Western world. So to, to begin with, uh, I wonder if we could say, uh, you could speak a little bit about what, what are the principles of Jugad innovation and how does Benjamin Franklin, the founder of our university, exemplify them? Absolutely. Um, actually, I think uh, Ben Franklin is our, one of our favorite heroes when it comes to Jugad um, in early America, in the sense that uh, he grew up, as you know, in a you know, large family uh, where he learned about the principles of uh, doing more with less, which is essentially being very frugal. And, um, and that frugality, of course, he embodied not only um, in his personal lifestyle, but also in terms of how he developed, you know, um, products and services as well. Because he was, as you know, a serial kind of entrepreneur before that term became very popular. And, um, and one of the inventions that uh, we, I think, uh, showcased in the book is this thing called um, uh, the Franklin stove, which is essentially um, a, a very ingenious invention that use um, less wood than needed uh, and produce a lot more heat. So essentially, it created a product that used less resource and yet produced you know, more value to the customer. Um, and this uh, Franklin stove was uh, very well received um, in the 18th century. Um, but what is actually uh, phenomenal is that uh, you also embody this principle of, um, you can call it thinking and acting uh, flexibly in the sense that um, he was a pioneer of the open source movement because he never attempted to patent this invention. As a matter of fact, um, all the inventions that uh, Ben Franklin came up with, and there are numerous of them, um, he never really tried to patent them because he felt that any of these inventions that he came up with need to benefit the larger community, particularly people who may not be able to afford some of these you know, uh, inventions. So that um, means that you also practice this other principle of Jugad, which is essentially include the margin. So in other words, he was always thinking about making his inventions uh, you know, beneficial for the larger community, the masses, if you like, as opposed to an elite. Um, so in a way, he was ahead of his time um, in the sense that he was an entrepreneur who had this Jugad spirit and really cared about you know, people around him and really tried to come up with uh, solutions that delivered um, a lot of value at much less cost for a lot more people. Great. <clears throat> you, you also say in your book that the Western innovation engine has become too engine, has become too rigid, insular, and bloated to remain effective. 
It consumes a lot of resources and makes a lot of noise but produces little of significance. Uh, why did this situation develop and what can be done about it? Yeah, I mean, the situation developed is essentially of one reason, is that uh, after the World War II, um, Western companies essentially uh, fell in love with one important uh, you know, concept, which is essentially uh, trying to industrialize everything. That means essentially try to automate all the processes. And the objective in doing so was essentially to achieve larger economies of scale. And uh, as a result, they ended up uh, creating a lot of structures in the organization uh, by putting in place very formal ways of developing products and services. So we saw the growth of so-called R&D departments and also some uh, investment in processes such as Six Sigma and uh, total quality management, etc. And all these processes were essentially um, destined to deliver more predictability to organizations. And the word predictability became sacrosanct for a lot of CEOs because uh, they felt that by having more predictability in the processes, they can provide a better kind of performance on a regular basis and therefore keep also Wall Street happy because there was less risk, you know, perceived in their activities because after all, right, everything was predictable. Uh, but the flip side of predictability is that when the world begins to change and faster and faster, as we are experiencing today, um, this predictability becomes, uh, you know, an impediment, right, for companies to be agile and responsive to major changes in customer needs or new competitive threats or major technology shifts, for example. So, in a way, what we found is that um, a lot of these companies did the right thing, I guess, you know, in the 20th century uh, by investing in formal R&D properties, uh, you know, expensive R&D labs, uh, very structured type of, you know, development processes. Um, and, uh, but then in the last 10, 15 years, what we noticed is that as the world becomes more complex, uh, these very investments the companies made are now beginning to turn against them. So one interesting data point is um, from the Booth and company, the management consultant, um, which actually has done research and shows that um, in 2010, um, the world's 1,000 top investors in R&D spent collectively a whopping $550 billion U.S. dollars in R&D, but they did not really get much return for that huge investment they made. Um, so that's kind of where um, we are proposing an alternative approach to innovation, which will be um, very frugal, flexible, and inclusive. And um, we call this approach to God, and I'm going to actually uh, let Simon uh, define that in a moment. But I think essentially uh, what we try to do is to say, look, there is a traditional approach which worked very well for a long time, but that approach is very expensive, it's very inflexible, and it's also quite elitist in the sense that uh, only a few people in the company are doing innovation. But we all know with things like social media that innovation has become everybody's business. So that means that uh, we rapidly have to go to a new model that is much more um, you know, cost-effective, uh, very flexible, and then more importantly, what I mean by inclusive is that it's very democratic in the sense that you can open up and uh, input, take the input of all your employees, customers, and partners as well. And that's really where we came up with this idea of Chugaz, and I will let uh, Simone explain a bit more about uh, what it is. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. And some of your readers, Mukul, may already be familiar with the word. It's a Hindi word meaning an improvised solution born from ingenuity. And so what we really did is through our extensive field research, surveyed hundreds of people across India to learn the deeper meaning of the word, which can at times have negative connotations. But essentially, we distilled it down to what we felt was the, an important meaning, especially for grassroots entrepreneurs, that the spirit of Jugaad is really an innovative fix, especially under severe resource constraints. So Jugaad really is about being flexible and resourceful in the face of adversity, and it's about being frugal and doing more with less, as Navi mentioned, in the face of scarcity. So, <clears throat> to, pick so, up on, um, mm-hmm. yeah, to pick up on that point that you just mentioned, Simone, how, how do Jugaad innovators seek opportunity in adversity? Could you give any examples of, of grassroots entrepreneurs who have done that? Absolutely. Uh, one of our favorite examples is that of a uh, um, villager named Mansuk Prajapati, who actually lives in the deserts of India. And what he did is, you know, he's in a scenario where not only do they not have access to electricity, um, even if they did, most of the villagers would not be able to afford it. Um, he wanted to understand how to drive a fundamental innovation of how can I create a refrigerator that doesn't use electricity, which would be a huge lifestyle shift for the people in his community. So what he did is he turned to the natural cooling effects of clay to create a totally off-the-grid green biodegradable refrigerator called Mitikul that can store fruits and vegetables for up to five days and dairy products for up to two days. Um, so I think what's most remarkable about this is he used a millennia-old material to create this refrigerator that has two compartments, one that has water in the top that flows down the walls on the sides and cools a lower chamber through evaporation. So tremendous flexibility in understanding that this material that's been present for so long can be used in such a unique way, driving this very fundamental uh, innovation. Uh, that, that's, that's really fascinating. You know, another principle of Jugaad, which uh, uh, I think, Navi, you mentioned before, is, is the principle of doing more with less. Now, how did KPIT Cummins uh, use this approach in India, and what were the results? Yeah, I think KPIT Cummins is uh, you know, a fascinating example of uh, Jugaad innovation, especially as it applies to uh, frugality, uh, because um, essentially uh, they are... Um, specialized in R&D services, and essentially they have been working a lot with the car manufacturers to come up with very affordable and frugal ways uh, to improve, um, you know, the the performance of the cars. And of course, over time, what they discovered is that um, with the shift towards increasingly uh, uh, not only affordable cars, but also the movement towards more sustainability, um, they essentially came up with a solution called uh, Revolo. R-E-V-O-L-O, and it's essentially a low-cost plug-in, which is uh, something that you can uh, plug into your car, and uh, within a few hours of installing it, you can convert your car almost like uh, into a hybrid kind of car. And um, this, for me, is a phenomenally, uh, you know, uh, representative of this kind of Jugaad spirit in the sense that it was just one engineer who one day when he was stuck in a traffic jam in Mumbai... Um, came up with this idea of saying, you know, what if we can rather um, convert existing cars, any cars that run on gas, 
into uh, you know fuel-efficient, high-performance hybrid. Um, so essentially, Revolo is uh, a conversion kit. Uh, it includes a rechargeable battery pack, an electric motor, and a pulley, essentially. And you can retrofit that into most cars in just uh, six hours by any uh, you know KPIT Cummins uh, certified mechanic. And what's fascinating about this is that um, it costs only uh, let's say around you know two thousand um, dollars, as opposed to you know five thousand or more in the West. And more importantly, the system costs eighty percent less than regular hybrid you know car options. Um, and the phenomenal uh, impact is that um, it can actually increase fuel efficiency by 35% and reduce the greenhouse emissions by at least 30%. So that means essentially more for less, right? In the sense that it delivers a lot more value in terms of sustainability at much less cost for you know uh, car users. Um, and for me, that is um, a fascinating example of how you can come up with an affordable and retrofitable solution to essentially transform these, uh, you know, gas-guzzling cars, right, that we have in the West into very environmentally friendly and uh, high-performance, uh, you know, hybrids. Um, so I think that's a great example of, uh, you know, an innovation that delivers more value at less cost. You also say in your book that companies should redesign their organizations around simplicity. Uh, how, how can this be done? Yeah, I think uh, it can be done, um, and you see some examples already uh, in play. I mean, I'm going to pick two examples in the West of companies that have done that. Uh, Philips is uh, very famous for embracing simplicity as a key tenet of the design philosophy. And uh, if I back up a bit and explain why simplicity is becoming important is because um, a lot of customers are put off by the complexity of technology, right? Any of you who have tried to use, you know, any kind of electronic device like, you know, high-definition TV that you try to install in your living room, you know that how complex technology is getting these days. So there is a premium now associated with simplicity. That means essentially, can we come up with a, a good enough solution as opposed to an over-engineered solution? Because a lot of data shows that, for example, in some Microsoft, uh, you know, kind of uh, software, um, nearly 90% of the features may not be ever used by, you know, the, the users. Um, so the question is, you know, why bother over-engineering a product when you can simplify it and make life easier for the customers? So with that being the kind of, you know, impetus for driving simplicity, you see companies like Philips essentially incorporating simplicity as a key tenet of their design philosophy. And uh, Philips has made it, you know, a point that all the products you know, in the last five years they started doing it, will be um, very user-friendly and uh, very maintenance-friendly as well. So they have made it, you know, very much uh, almost like a, a cornerstone of their uh, product development, uh, you know, model. Um, another company that, uh, in my opinion, really embodies the simplicity uh, principle is uh, Facebook. And because you know that the interface of Facebook is very, very simple, um, they don't have a lot of, you know, uh, complex features, uh, the navigation of the website is very easy to use. Uh, and the reason is because they employ something called social design, which is essentially a design philosophy where the technology takes the back seat to the user experience, which takes the front seat. And that's a radical departure from the traditional R&D model where the focus used to be on showing off, right, so to speak, 
your technology capabilities and hope to wow the customers. But as I say, the customers are put off by technology complexity. So Facebook uses social design as a way to make the user the king of the experience and let them drive this whole you know, experience as opposed to the technology you know, being at the forefront. Um, and, uh, and finally, the third company, which kind of embodies the spirit of uh, simplicity, is uh, Siemens, um, the industrial uh, conglomerate in Europe. Um, they actually also have started coming up with a lot of products that are very simple to use. Um, and that, for me, is remarkable because Siemens is known for the engineering you know, prowess and uh, you know, it's all about pushing the envelope on technology. But having done that for 100 years, now they realize that you know just putting more technology into the product is not going to really help the customers. So they are kind of going back to the basics and say, can we come up with a good enough, let's say, you know, medical device or a good enough, you know, power generator that would deliver relatively decent performance, but still will be very simple to use and maintain as well. Well, that that's great. Uh, how how should uh, Jugard innovators tap into marginal markets? Sure. I think one of the things that we uh, advise our readers and clients is that we have to be aware of the increasing diversity of the marketplace around the world, but also right here in the U.S. Uh, We have to be aware that the middle class is shrinking uh, and essentially becoming a marginal class. And this is really driving a change in what customers want and need. So customers are looking for value for money and not just uh, features. So I think what's happening is that um, companies are having to adjust to this. Uh, For example, Procter & Gamble is adjusting the fact that many of their consumers are now looking for low-cost products. Uh, So for the first time in something like 38 years, the uh, Procter & Gamble um, developed a low-cost dishwashing line of uh, dishwashing liquids and hand soaps, etc. And what they did with this is they understand that they have to access such a large group because the Gini index in this country, um, which is an economic uh, wealth indicator where one means the wealth is all goes to one person and zero means essentially if the wealth is distributed equally, is very similar today in the U.S. to that of the Philippines and Mexico. So I think that the that PNG actually developed a new product line for uh, this group makes it clear that they understand they need to address this margin, but also that they're doing R&D uh, dedicated towards this group means that it's here for the long term. I think another example would be uh, Walmart that's actually introducing financial services in some of their stores and actually in satellite branches now. So they're offering services like check cashing right in Walmart stores where a very, very high number of people actually pay with cash. And so that's another way to include the margin uh, and generate revenue for the company in an area where just brick-and-mortar banks are simply not meeting the needs of these marginalized customers because, A, they don't take the time to really understand their needs, and uh, B, because they just feel it's not worthwhile for them. And that's clearly not true. Including the margin is a must for companies today for a variety of reasons. And that's kind of very interesting because we used to call the concept of bottom of the pyramid. 
And uh, and PNG uh, was saying is that you know it's very humbling to realize that there is a bottom of the pyramid right here in the U.S. Except that it's the bottom 60% of this country, right? Essentially, that's the middle class of this country, and that's being squeezed, right, in terms of the purchasing power. So there is a bottom 60% right here, and the 60% means it's a big population, right? So that's another reason that it also makes economic sense for these companies like Procter and Gamble and Walmart to tap into those marginal segments which are growing in, you know, in volume, because if they don't do that, then they're going to have these, you know, nimble startups. And emerging market competitors who might come and you know steal that uh, you know market share. Right. So where we have, let's say, in the financial sector, 60 million unbanked or underbanked uh, citizens in this country, and in the healthcare sector, we have approximately 50 million uh, individuals who lack access to health insurance. Um, there's certainly a huge uh, market share that needs to be addressed. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time, but I have one last question. Uh, any advice for companies that want to implement the principles of Jugaad Innovation? How should they go about it? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that they can, you know, in the book we outlined six principles, right? Um, and uh, they can just pick one of them to begin with. Uh, for example, it might be doing more with less. Um, and then they can figure out, like, you know, is there a particular area within their organization where they can apply this principle? For example, a couple of thoughts, right? So if it's an R&D department, they can figure out, is there a way, for example, like General Motors is doing right now, which is GM is saying, okay, can we reuse parts and components in the sense that, you know, why do we have to reinvent the wheel for every car across every market? So let's begin to standardize some of the platforms and reuse, you know, parts and components which in a way will lower the cost, right, of global car development. Um, so you can start like that in R&D side, but I think you can also apply this principle of doing more with less in other parts of your organization as well. So for example, if you are in the marketing uh, function, you can think about, for example, can we use social media to run, to run marketing campaigns, which is essentially a much more frugal way of doing it than investing in you know, expensive you know, TV ads and whatnot. Um, so there are different uh, functional areas in your organization that you can implement, you know, very quickly one of these principles. Um, but I think what's important in all this is the role of leadership, uh, because ultimately what we find is that the Jugad as a philosophy is essentially about transforming the culture and the mindset of people in your organization. And what we find is that that's something really to be easy to do with the millennials, the young workforce, which is joining, you know, um, you know, the corporate America, you know, masses. But um, but for the traditional managers, uh, the middle management, this may be a bit disruptive because in a way it's about changing the status quo, right? Um, so I think there must be some kind of incentive system or some kind of uh, mechanism put in place by leaders to drive this behavioral change because ultimately uh, Jugad is going to be about transforming the corporate culture of an organization. Um, so my two recommendations would be, one is you can start small by implementing one of these six principles in a very focused, kind of, you know, targeted fashion. And secondly, though, uh, ultimately, if you want to make the most out of Jugad, you've got to essentially be able to drive massive, you know, kind of cultural transformation as well with the right incentive system and the right metrics as well. Simone, uh, anything you want to add to that? No, just I think that's exactly right, and uh, that's exactly how we've seen it as being the most effective. So typically when corporations want to integrate Jugad and, and, and drive Jugad innovation in their companies, they, uh, they tend to do it first in smaller segments, 
uh, or, and or by partnering with other groups who already understand how to do this, like grassroots entrepreneurs, for example, or, uh, or uh, individuals who are coming out of programs like uh, Stanford Innovation's uh, entrepreneurial design courses. And that's, a, that's the way that they're actually best uh, driving this kind of innovation in their corporation. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.